Welcome. You're listening to the Gideon Warrior Radio Network. Look for us on TalkShoe.com. Type in keyword Gideon Warrior Network. And you can find us and other Israelite speakers at ChristianAmericanMinistries.com and AngloIsraelTruth.com. Please remember, your free will gifts and offerings help us to continue laboring in the vineyard. Please consider visiting our support page. We thank you for visiting our network and sites. It is our prayer you'll be edified by them. Here's the message, and thanks for listening. This will be part two in a series entitled, What's Wrong with America? The series is not intended to drag God's children into despair, rather though to the recognition, acknowledgement, and genuine repentance of sins known and unknown. The series will chronicle the violation of God's laws, not necessarily to be exhaustive in nature, as that might take a lifetime, but a sufficient spectrum for a sensible awareness. In the final analysis, we'll put a slightly more personal face on these areas of sin addressed by utilizing and employing real-world analogies in a final attempt to drive the point right up to the feet of the children of God. Let's begin back where we left off in the last message with those 600 verses of Deuteronomy that God had presented his kingdom children with the laws for their health by establishing food laws when instituted coupled with prayer and thanksgiving would free them from the diseases and sicknesses. Today in America I believe it has been said that there are some 6 billion prescriptions written annually Now this actual number escapes me right now, but I can assure you that it is a staggering amount. The healing and health laws established here in Deuteronomy are an ordinance as well as a statute in the kingdom nation. We are given in the last chapter a proof text for obedience to the dietary laws as it records Moses was 120 years old his eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. So, is this what's wrong with America? Has America chosen evil and death over life and good? Is this why the churches of the land no longer teach the words of James 514 to 15 After all, if you are going to call the elders to pray over and anoint the sick with oil, it might be relatively ineffective because the church has failed to teach the man the laws which would have presented his sickness in the first place. America, it seems, is much like King Asa that we read about in Second Chronicles 16, 12-13, and I quote, And Asa, in the thirty-ninth year of his reign, was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great, Yet in his disease he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians, and Asa slept with his fathers. Moses reminded God's children that the Lord will take away from thee all sicknesses, and will put none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which thou knowest, upon thee, but will lay them upon all that hate thee. Deuteronomy 7.15 The laws of health and healing are available to his children and can be claimed. The child of God must recognize this. Long before Mount Sinai, Noah was given an instruction 
to bring into the ark seven pair each of the clean and one pair of the unclean animals. And at Genesis 8.20, Noah offered of every clean beast and fowl an offering to the Lord of the beasts of the earth which had been delivered into his hand. And at Genesis 9.4, he was given an abstinent command. In that flesh, with the life thereof, which is in the blood thereof, shall you not eat. God's children the world over routinely violate this single health command. Now it's important to note, prior to the giving of meat, God had already given the laws or the commands concerning non-meat foods at Genesis 1.29. Therefore, a further instruction to Noah was not necessary at this time, as only Noah and his family came off the ark. The seed-bearing fruits and vegetables given by God at Genesis 1.29 were still at the table, so to speak. Fungus, mushrooms, and the like were not. Thus Israel received no special commands concerning this at Mount Sinai. The command not to eat any abominable thing at Deuteronomy 14 is no different than any other thou shalt not abstinent commands for choosing life. And it all boils down to this. A cloven hoof and chewer of the cud are exceptional choices of the four-footed animals. Swine does not chew the cud. Like a little seafood, fins and scales both shall be the catch of the day. The rest are predator or bottom feeders, designed, one must assume, to consume and digest what man may inadvertently cause to pollute the waters of the earth. Any of the birds of prey and those after this kind are not to grace your dinner plate, and the blood at all times is to be cooked completely out of it. You may have never known or considered it, but of the clean four-footed animals, they all have a, di a double digestive system. Hmm. I wonder if God thought that would be a good thing. It's interesting to note that archaeological health studies of Egyptian mummies are revealing that God was correct when he advised his children at Deuteronomy 28, 58-61 that they, upon their disobedience to these health laws, would contract the disease and sicknesses of Egypt, as his children are found with the same diseases around the world today. The nation of God's children all over the world are clamoring for a health care system to manage these plagues of sinfulness. These stiff-necked children of God who would claim to hold sacred from violation a single one of the Ten Commandments apparently have no use for the critical state of the nation Isaiah recorded against those of his day at Isaiah 65, 3-4. And I read, quote, A people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face, that sacrificeth in gardens and burneth incense upon altars of brick, which remain among the graves and lodge in the monuments, which eat swine's flesh, and broth of abominable things is in their vessels." End quote. These are the same people whom God said he set before them life and good, death and evil, therefore choose life. Deuteronomy 30:15. The swine's flesh is an abominable thing, 
broths such as shrimp, crayfish, lobster boils, clam chowders, oyster stews, etc. They're all routinely a staple in the diet of his children. Now at this point I'm sure many are tempted to scramble for the Bibles to justify these diets by some New Testament proof text. But I must caution that to do so one may not violate the Word of God. These vain attempts by design must put one testament in contradiction with the other, and this is not the sound doctrine that Paul, Peter, or any other New Testament writer or scriptures contemplates, presents, or intends as its assumption in evaluating sound doctrines. Apparently, many seem to think at the cross was a creation of a new body of law even though Christ clearly taught he was not come to destroy the law. If one's premise for their argument begins with a false assumption, it only follows that the conclusion drawn from the assumption will be invalid, incomplete, illegitimate, incorrect, flawed. So let's quickly evaluate these assumptions as we look at a few of these quote proof texts. Paul's admonishment to Timothy at 1 Timothy 4, 4-5 is in challenge to an assumption by some in the latter times of Paul's day who would advance a doctrine to abstain from meats. Paul clearly advances it is a false doctrine. He lays out the credibility of the findings by establishing, quote, every creature of God is good, end quote for it is sanctified by the Word of God. The only Word of God that Paul and Timothy are aware of is that Word that gives the meat to them for food, the clean and the unclean. The word meat in this passage means meat, and the sanctification is the setting apart. Therefore what God sets apart, and prayers offered in thanksgiving of these gifts of meat, set apart by God shall be received by them who believe and know the truth of God having given meat to man for food. Lacking that truth, Paul establishes the assumption to abstain from them is a doctrine of devils. Another justification, Christ looks at me just as if I'd never eaten it, text, is Peter's vision of Acts 10, 10 to 28. The first and obvious false assumption is that Peter understood the vision to mean God had cleansed the beasts and creeping things seen in the sheet-like vessel, and that Peter did slay and eat. When one actually reads the whole account, they would find the interpretation of the vision at verse 28, and their conclusions or findings would be established as fact rather than the doctrines of devils. The fact that this vision has nothing whatsoever to do with food and that Peter never slayed and ate is so evident it still amazes me that it continues to be used. Additionally, has it ever occurred to the reader that Peter walked with and tutored under God in the flesh? Don't you think in all that time and through all those meals Christ would have had an occasion to tell Peter all manner of beasts and creeping things were food to him, 
clean or unclean instead of waiting to do so in a vision? Another point in this is if someone should claim to say that, well, Christ had not resurrected, therefore they were still under the old law. But one has to ask, was there not an opportunity for Peter during the 40 days that Christ was there after the resurrection to have eaten some clean or unclean meats? This provides two additional assumptions. First, Peter, before being called off that fishing boat by Christ, had never eaten of the unclean water creatures. Secondly, why? Well, I'll tell you why. He was an Israelite who still knew or acknowledged God's law, and this is why Christ chose him. The next texts are Christ's words of Matthew 15:11, and they have no other connotation but that which is clearly evident. The doctrines of devils that Paul had called them, or the commandments of men as Christ had called them, he advised that you can do all the washing of the outside you want if your filth is in your heart. This shall defile you, not your unwashed hands. But of course the reader would have to read the next eight or nine verses to come to such a determination, and having to do that just might have killed some of them. The marketplaces of old often had meats offered to idols. The exhortation of Paul in 1 Corinthians 10.25 is in relation to that, foods offered to idols. We must again establish our assumptions to arrive at our conclusions or facts. Paul's reference to idols establish an assumption, and the assumption too is that all things are lawful, but all things are not necessarily expedient or edifying. You see, I can kill, but I may be found out, and a consequence ensue. I can bear false witness, and watch a brother be stoned to death for my false testimony. A consequence may be exacted worthy of my death, should my false testimony be discovered. Conclusion The scripture is in reference to foods offered to idols. If a man should tell you it's offered to idols, don't eat for conscious sake. As one being one professing the true God, you should not turn to the man who tells you of its offering to idols, shrug your shoulders and say, oh well, down the hatch. To do so is to disregard your conscience for what you now know, and the conscience of him who told you. You have not defiled yourself by what you do not know, but very much so when you know. These health commands of God are an essential part of his children's ability to choose life. Why choose anything else? The quote proof texts are in vain. God's children the world over are desiring choice in the area of health care. Why make a choice for the doctrines or commandments of men in the area of health care? We need to get it right. God's laws are for health care. The doctrines or commandments of men are not. In essence, man's system should be called sick care or disease care or perhaps better yet disease management. Remember, we are all individually responsible to God. 
our free will nutritional choices will affect the individual first then the national when God's children disregard these basic nutritional laws the diseases curses comes upon them it becomes a national curse as multiple legislative enactments are adopted and billions spent to literally manage the curse the individual must understand that some of those diseases will come upon the innocent the law-abiding population as well it should also be recognized this natural desire for life another free agency attribute of God is why billions are spent from men's estates to keep and preserve one's health the civil servant deems he must act upon or is compelled to acquire funds for managing this care as an individual in responsibility to God the civil servant has no authority to take from the assets of the law-abiding for the benefit of the lawless. To do so is to assist the lawlessness on the land and does not purge the sin in the first place. Many mistakenly put this at the feet of God, claiming it's a sin upon us to die for fallen man's sin at the garden. Remember, it was long after the garden when God commanded his children to choose life. Others succumb to a belief that it's just part of getting old. The interesting thing about both of these beliefs is that while there are more churches than at any other time, it is probably safe to conclude only a handful have called forth the elders, offering prayer and anointing in the name of the Lord as James 5:14-15 instructs, in a clear refusal to keep and administer the laws of God as it pertains to good and life. You see, to believe in those two beliefs is to put God in responsibility of the condition or the deteriorated state of health. One would do well to consider, what is God interested in? Your enjoyable existence in life in this wonderful creation? Or your miserable existence in this wonderful creation? I submit to you it is the former of these existences that he had in store for his children. I reject the doctrines of men or the doctrines of devils who actually teach God's children that the existence we get is a result of that first man's sin. Why on earth would God in the flesh walk amongst us on his creation, healing all manner of sickness and disease, and often upon doing so tell the healed to go and sin no more. Do you suppose he had a way of informing them of what their sins were so as to do no more? The healing James spoke of is an ordinance of the church as well, so why are they not calling upon the elders and offering prayers of faith? God never told any of his children that he intended to bring diseases upon them just because Adam sinned. He said if they would walk in his commandments and statutes, he would put none of the diseases upon them. When he does put the diseases upon his children for the disobedience, it can and likely will fall upon the just and the unjust alike. This individual free will not to walk 
in the health statutes and commandments of God, as you can clearly understand, has so profound implications on the national state of his children, it is impossible to separate them. Is God to be blamed for his children's exercising that free agency, free will attribute of God in what God must construe as a deliberate free will choice of death and evil? Again, because a father punishes a child for his disobedience, is the father to be blamed for the application of the known or just punishment? Some of these diseases, I'm certain, are managed for years in God's children, allowing the sicknesses and diseases to fester, if you will, into larger and even multiple or chronic conditions later in life. Additionally, God's promise to visit the iniquity of the fathers unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate God, showing mercy unto thousands of them that love him and keep his commandments. Exodus 20 verse 5. So here again, mercy is obtained by walking in or keeping the commandments. God's children are in a deliberate act of disobedience to the law and disregarding the clear abstination commands Thou shalt not eat any abominable thing. That condemnation spoke by God through Isaiah that we read minutes ago is upon this generation, there can be no doubt. These national statutes of health are the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of life abundantly. By the infinite wisdom of God, these also were made a statue and an ordinance. Therefore, that healing can be accessed by the individual even while the nation continues in unrighteousness as the blood of Christ covers a multitude of transgressions. I implore you to think not that Jesus came to do away with 85% of your Bible wisdom. I'd like to conclude with Psalms 103. Let us read. I quote, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth the life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth my mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as Father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord 
is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children to such as keep his covenant and to those that remember his commandments to do them. End quote. God help us to see what's wrong with America. Save us from the hand of our enemies. Forgive us for forgetting and rejecting you and your perfect word and laws. Strengthen us with a mighty hand. Deliver us from our clear and present perils. God, save America again. Thanks again to Pastor Peters for his fight of faith and this opportunity to minister unto the children of the New Covenant, Hebrews 8.8 8 informed us of. This is Doug Nelson, trusting you will hear these words one day. Well done, thou good and faithful servant.